You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. That refrain that we were singing in that second-to-last song, maybe we could get that slide up really quick, Victor. That one uh, about dying, living and dying. Could you pop that up for a second? You know what it is to die. You know what it is to live. I need I need the words. That's why I asked you to come up. I could camp out on that for like days. So <laughs> if that like blew by you, or if it, if if it was just kind of a wow, that's a lot of living and dying. I don't know what to do with that. Um, maybe you want to take that to your cell and just kind of make that your cell meeting for a couple of nights because uh, there's a lot in there. I was I was feeling that, um, so we follow you to die, we follow you to rise, Lord, teach us how to die. I don't know that we talk about that a whole lot. I don't know that we talk about that that feeling of death, and that feeling of, or, or, or like living while dead, or dying while living. And I thought that was such um, a moving line, because in many ways, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Because sometimes when we're doing stuff that really messes with the way that we work internally, it feels like little deaths over and over and over again. It, it, it's like, can I give in to this? Wow, something's dying. I feel like it feels like something in me is like being put down. And I don't know if I can do it because that is hard work to do. I hope you do. Uh, that's my invitation to you. Take this. Take this. Make your cell leader bring this, print it out, and talk about it in your cell meeting. That might be super great. Except for my cell. Don't give me homework cell. Uh, but for real, this you, you could camp out on this for a little while, and it would be really worthwhile. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing up this topic today because um, I've been letting something outside myself lead me uh, in my Bible reading. I was given this Bible by uh, a dear friend as I was heading off to college. Uh, It's one of those thin Bibles. It has a a burgundy cover. And you know like a lot of Bibles that has those ribbon bookmarks in it? You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen these Bibles? Maybe you don't even know what a Bible is. Well, some Bibles have ribbons in them and they use them as bookmarks. Uh, this one, I, I, I've always been the one to be like, okay, that bookmark is there, but that's not really my thing. So I kind of like push it out and just kind of don't use it. And it's just shiny and shimmery in one of the pages somewhere in my Bible. L- lately, I've been taking that bookmark very seriously. I've actually been letting that bookmark lead me in my daily Bible reading. So every time that I sit down and I open up my Bible, the bookmark is in a spot. I'll read a few pages, I'll put the bookmark back in, and then I'll let it sit. And the next day I come, the bookmark is in a whole new spot, (laughs) because I read it yesterday. Now there's more to read. And I'm working my way through the New Testament in the, um, these letters of Paul, and I'm just coming across stuff that is really like, whoa, Paul, you said that. What am I going to do with this? Uh, a few, it's, maybe it's been a couple of months ago now, but I sent this chunk to my cell from Ephesians 
that I was talking, uh, I'm going I'm to mention this today, but it talks about submitting to each other, submitting, submit yourself one to another, he says in, in Ephesians. And then he gives all these examples of how you could do this. And some of these examples are like, whoa, not only are the, the things that he's saying very provocative, or it felt provocative to me, but it's very revealing on how he thinks this thing works, this, this, this thing that is us, the church, how this thing works out. This is at the end of Ephesians 5, in the beginning of Ephesians 6. You can read that on your own. And then I was reading uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians, and Philippians uh, chapter 2 is talking about some of this same stuff. Uh, he says, submit one to another, uh, gi- giving honor and preference to each other. Just as Christ did this with us, uh, he took the form of God and didn't consider that something that was too important to hold on to, but released it, let it go, and for our sake became like us. And now God has exalted him because he submitted to taking on flesh and coming in our likeness. This stuff was really, really stirring me, really moving me. And I, I started doing a little bit of a study about these, these, this thing that Paul was talking about, this, this submission. And the word that I came to that, that, that was kind of the umbrella word for this was mutuality. Mutuality is the thing that I want to talk about today. And I don't know that we can get to mutuality without living a thousand deaths, without dying over and over and over again, because there's, there's something that has to take place in me that sometimes doesn't get my preference, that sometimes doesn't like uh, feel fulfilling to me. But for the sake of being the body of Christ, for the sake of being together and protecting and, and, and encouraging and living together, that's exactly the thing that I need to do. So let me let me read some of this to you. If you're a Bible person, you brought your Bible with you, you can read that with me. If you're a, a Bible on my phone kind of person, you can also do that. Uh, this is from Philippians. And he, he starts like this. He says, uh, am, am I going reading this? You're probably not going to pick up on like all the nuance of this or anything. That's totally okay. Let it like just wash over you, okay? I'm just going to read it once. Let it wash over you. you. We're going to pick up the main concepts. And if you want to go back to it, go back to it later, okay? This is from Philippians 1. I'm, I'm starting in the verse 27. So Paul says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, how am I going to do this? I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and you will be saved by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded 
having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I'm going to Paul this morning because I think Paul was in a similar spot as we are, as, as our church. Paul was uh, one who would go around in the greater Mediterranean area and he would plant little communities like this in the way of Jesus and then he would move. And he'd go and he'd do it again someplace else. And at, when he left, trouble would happen. Issues would come up. Real life would take effect. He, he'd kind of get people and be like, yo, Jesus is the way. This is, this is the thing that we're doing. Follow Jesus. And then when he would bounce, the real life would set in and people would have to figure this out. And similar to Circle of Hope, we're, we're, we're in a similar boat, right? We have these congregations uh, we, we're, we're all trying to figure this thing out and, and real life is happening all the time. So what is the thing that Paul said above all the other things about how to make this thing work? The answer is mutuality. The answer is mutual submission and mutual respect. And it's exactly in the words that I was just, just reading. We were going through this recently on the, the leadership team uh, because the, the coordinators, you guys know how this works, right? I'm, I'm a coordinator. I have cells that I work with locally, and the coordinators for the whole church network get together. We're a coordinator's team. I also lead that team. And so the coordinators, I was, I was kind of leading us through this conversation on mutuality for the sake of the church. And we, we, were, we were stumbling through this, trying to, trying to pick this up, letting it rub off on us as much as we could and our encouragement the coordinators to the pastors was this is so vital this is so essential that we have to have it in our pastors team in our coordinators team between our teams in, uh, massaged into the dough of the church to its uttermost because this is so key and pivotal and we can't survive without it mutuality I, uh, I, I, I have this, um, I think this is going to work, but this, this example is a little obscure. I was trying to think about how, I was like, okay, Bryce, you're going to talk about mutuality. Have you actually done this yourself? At some point, I'm sure I did. Uh, what is that story? So <laughs> uh, a couple of, uh, a month or maybe two ago, there was this conversation that I was having with another person on the leadership team, and this issue around uh, terms came up terms for people being coordinators. We have three-year terms. If you're a coordinator, you're three-year. You can re-up your term, but you don't have to. And this, there was, an, there was a, a time when a coordinator could no longer fulfill their term, and they 
um, uh, we found someone to replace them, right? Well, this was happening midterm, so there was only like a year, year and a half left on the term. And this person came in, and I said, okay, well, well to get on the team, what, what you'll do is you'll finish this person's term, and then we'll talk about another term after that. So I was talking to this person on the leadership team because I didn't know this, but uh, the, the way that we were working with that had changed. Our agreements about how we work with that had changed so that when pe new people come onto the team, they don't finish the term that they inherited, they start with a fresh term. So their first term would be a three-year term, not the year that I was proposing to this person. Well, I already had the conversations with this new person on the team, and I thought I had an agreement, and I was kind of like, yes, you can do this, and I was like, please be on our team, and this is how it works, and your first term will be a year, and all this kind of stuff. And they were like, oh yeah, I can do a year, that's great. So then I'm having this confrontation with somebody else who's on the leadership team. They're like, no, this is our agreement. And I was like, you're right. Darn it. Uh, well, what do I do now? I already had the conversation. I said, is it all right to just move forward? I'll get it next time. I'll do better next time kind of a thing. And, and this, this became very important to this other person on the leadership team. So we, we, I think we went, maybe went back and forth on email three, three or four times. I said, oh, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. They said, yeah, but this is it. And I said, oh, can we do that? And they were like, well, not really. This is, you know. And, and I had this moment where I, had to, where I was reflecting, and I was like, you know what? This is like zero big deal to me. But this is a big enough deal to this person. I can just do what they want. I can just do it. It really doesn't matter. So I did. I told the person, I said, you know what? Um... I think we're spending more time on the conversation than we are on the doing of the thing. So because it's kind of in that realm of the world's not going to break, I'll do whatever you want. I'm fine with doing what you want because I can submit to you, and that's okay. And we said, great, and we moved forward. And that was the end of it. Haven't talked about it again. And now I know, next time I talk to a new person coming on the team, it's a three-year term. In this very small way, I did have to... I actually still had to come to the point where I realized, do I want to carry this argument out? Do I want to win this argument? Yeah, I did. I really did. It actually mattered to me, like sort of like deep in my core, that something, like if, if I didn't get this, something in me, whatever my psychological makeup was telling me, Bryce, if you don't win this argument, something's wrong with you. <laughs> It's sort of like why I'm so competitive when I play, is this, is Zumba a game? Is this a thing? Zumba's not a game. There's a, there's a game that sounds similar to Zumba. The, the, the name of the game sounds similar to Zumba, where you're in this octagonal uh, small playing field, and you have this ball, and you hit each other with the ball. It's like dodgeball in a small area. Gaga. Zumba Gaga. That's it. Thank you. Somebody knows that game. Gaga. Uh, I remember playing this game and, and just being like super competitive about it. And this was before Ben was a, a pastor here, so we knew each other pretty well, but peripherally. And, and Ben made the comment while we were playing, like, I just love how intense Bryce is at Gaga. <laughs> and I thought, boy, I'm really intense at Gaga. What is wrong with me? This matters to me. This so matters to me. Why does this matter to me? Gaga is Gaga. Why does it matter to me? It doesn't matter. Why is it so important? me that this is important and if I don't win it like reflects on my self-worth as an individual it doesn't 
Thank you for telling me. It doesn't, because it so doesn't. Like, I need to be told that. Like, this actually doesn't matter. So much stuff is in that realm of it really doesn't matter. In the long run, I can totally do what you want me to do. I can totally lose at Gaga. My value as a person is not dependent on whether I win or succeed or accomplish the thing that I really feel I need to accomplish. In those moments, and I've talked to my therapist about this in great detail, (laughs) it's okay to face that experience as a death and let the death occur grieve it and then move on to be released from it and to move on that's a good thing to do but if everything if if we're running our lives as though we're just trying to avoid the feeling of the little death we're not going to be able to be mutual with each other if everything is important enough that my very life depends on it the church is too broken to fix But if we can walk in the way of Jesus in mutuality, we're going to have a fighting chance. I want to share this story with you because I think it's very fitting, very telling for this topic. It's a great parable. Let me pull it up here. This comes from, uh, I ran across this story from a book by M. Scott Peck. Any of you heard of M. Scott Peck? He writes a lot on Christian community. He wrote The Road Less Traveled. Uh, most of his most popular books are about 30 years old now. And I actually came across him because he wrote, um, he's a, a psychologist, and he wrote, uh, the name of the book is going to fail me now, but uh, it was, it's addressing the problem of evil and uh, people of the lie. That's the one. Uh, that was my first introduction to him, people of the lie. And I was just like, oh, thank God somebody is talking about evil. <laughs> thank God we can talk about this. Um, but then I came across The Road Less Traveled, and then he has uh, like further thoughts on The Road Less Traveled. This book comes from his book, um, The Different Drum. And it's, it's called The Rabbi's Gift. It's in the uh, prelude, prologue, whatever the thing is before the book. And I, I just want you to, again, listen to this story. I think, I think it might help me make the point that I'm trying to make, okay? The rabbi's gift. The story concerns a monastery that had fallen upon hard times. Once a great order, as a result of waves of an anti-monastic persecution in the 17th and 18th centuries and the rise of secularism in the 19th, all its branch houses were lost and it had become decimated to the extent that there were only five months left in the decaying mother house. The abbot and four others, all over 70 in age, clearly this was a dying order. In the deep woods surrounding the monastery, there was a little hut that a rabbi from a nearby town occasionally used for a hermitage. Through their many years of prayer and contemplation, The old monks had become a bit psychic, so they could always sense when the rabbi was in his hermitage. The rabbi is in the woods. The rabbi is in the woods again, they would whisper to 
to each other. As he agonized over the imminent death of his order, it occurred to the abbot at one such time to visit the hermitage and ask the rabbi if by some possible chance he could offer any advice that might save the monastery. The rabbi welcomed the abbot at his hut, but when the abbot explained the purpose of his visit, the rabbi could only commiserate with him. I know how it is, he exclaimed. The spirit has gone from the people. It is the same in my town. Almost no one cares, or almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So the old abbot and the old abbi wept together. Then they read parts of the Torah and quietly spoke of deep things. The time came when the abbot had to leave. They embraced each other. It has been a wonderful thing that we should meet after all these years, the abbot said. But I have still failed in my purpose for coming here. Is there nothing you can tell me, no piece of advice that you can give me that would help me save my dying order? No, I'm sorry, the rabbi responded. I have no advice to give. The only thing I can tell you is that the Messiah is one of you. When the abbot returned to the monastery, his fellow monks gathered around him to ask, Well, what did the rabbi say? He couldn't help, the abbot, the abbot answered. He just wept and read the Torah. we read the Torah together. The only thing he did say just as I was leaving, it was something cryptic. It was that the Messiah is one of us. I, I, don't, I don't even know what he meant. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered this and wondered together whether there was any possible significance to the rabbi's words, the Messiah is one of us? Could he possibly have meant one of us monks here at the monastery? If that's the case, which one? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Like, yes, of course. If he means anyone, he probably meant the father, the father abbot. He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas. Certainly Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly he would not have... Oh, Certainly he would not have met Brother Eldred. Eldred gets crotchety at times. But come to think of it, even though he is a thorn in people's sides, when you look back on it, Eldred is virtually always right, often very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Eldred, but surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so passive, a real nobody. But then, almost mysteriously, he has a gift for somehow always being there when you need him. He just magically appears by your side. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant me. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet supposing he did. Supposing I am the Messiah. Oh God, not me. I couldn't be that much for you, could I? As they contemplated in this manner, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one, that one of them might be the Messiah, and on the off-off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah. They began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. Because the forest in which it was situated was beautiful, it so happened that people still occasionally came to visit the monastery to picnic on its tiny lawn 
to wander along some of its some of its paths, even now and then to go into the dilapidated chapel to meditate. As they did so, without even being conscious of it, they sensed the aura of extraordinary respect that now began to surround the five old monks and seemed to radiate out of them and permeate the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely attractive, even compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery more frequently to picnic, to play, to pray. They began to bring their friends to show them this special place, and their friends brought their friends. Then it happened that some of the younger men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more with the old monks. After a while, one asked if he could join them. Then another, and another. So within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order, and thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality in the realm. You know, Paul doesn't answer every question when he's talking about mutuality. He doesn't cure the world of the world's problems, but he is responding to a very specific question for the people that he was talking to, which was, how are we going to stick together? How are we going to be the body of Christ in our world today? I think mutuality has ripple effects, just as we learned in that story. That it's not just for the sake of those who are with us. I think it has, call it psychic reverberation, call it ripple effects into the world beyond. But I think people sense this and feel that when they're with the people who are following in the way of Jesus, who are actually getting mutuality, practicing it, doing it, are committed to it. So I submit this to you, not just as an answer to the question or one answer to the question of how are we going to stick together, but also an answer to the question of how are we going to communicate effectively and clearly the salvation that is in Jesus. People sense this when they're with us. People know us by the way they feel when they're around our building, in our meeting, at your cell meeting. So again, mutuality as a way to answer both the question of how are we going to stick together and also how are we going to be a light to the world. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.